Welcome everybody to the After Ed Podcast with Jason Vest, where we interview thought leaders, educators, and students from around the world, people that just aren't content with the status quo. Why should you listen to me? Because I'm an educator right there in the trenches doing it every single day. Please tune in. Let's just let's get right to it, man. Um, sure. So today, everybody, I have John Harper with me. Uh, I'm going to make John blush here. I'm going to try to anyway. So uh, you're currently an assistant principal, but you also were a nationally board certified teacher. It seems like you've had experience in every grade level at the elementary level. Uh, I love that you've did your student teaching in New Zealand. Like that's, that's pretty awesome. And, uh, you know, not to mention that you're a husband and a dad and you somehow managed to run to super successful podcasts, my bad, and teachers aid. Uh, so, John, thank you for being on, man. Hey, it's an honor to be on, man. Thanks so much for having me on, Jason. Yeah. So, look, I got to ask, when did you know that you wanted to be an elementary teacher? You know, it's a funny story. It's, uh, I did not know until I was probably about 25 years old. I was, uh, really, I had no idea what I wanted to do for a while. And the first time through college, because I went through several times, first time I majored in philosophy, which really, you can't do a whole lot with. It was fun. I had a good time taking classes, but uh, graduated, had no idea what I wanted to do. My dad was a doctor, so I thought, well, maybe I want to be a doctor. So I went back and took a lot of science classes and had then applied to medical school. And while I was waiting to appear for medical school, my parents, you know, I was living at home. I was a bum, and mom said, well, John, you got to get a job. you got to do something. So why don't you substitute right down the street? And I'm thinking, there's no way I want to be a teacher. I did not want to do that, Mom. But I had to, uh, I was living for a period, but I had to get a job. And so I tried it in elementary school. I loved it. And then when I didn't get accepted into medical school, it was the best thing ever because I went back and got an elementary ed degree. And at 26, I guess I was, I started, started teaching. Wow. Yeah, that's... Uh... So I got to ask too, like, and cause, so I, I did my student teaching um, at the school that I ended up getting my first job with. And um, so, you know, the, the student teaching experience is interesting in and of itself. Uh, but then I became a substitute there at the school, um, kind of waiting on my job to open up the next year. And, you know, look, I mean, hats off to substitute teachers man but you know so you had the substitute teaching experience and you still decided hey i want to be a teacher yeah i mean because it's, it's not easy that's for sure and i think i, I learned more no knock on any of the programs but i learned more substituting for pretty much a whole year because i did that for about a year i learned more subbing than i did probably in all my classes and all my student teaching because it's just you know it's on the job training it's real you, you have to figure stuff out yeah and have to work you, know, you can't just write a paper or write a cute little solution. You have to figure out something that either works or doesn't. Uh, you're right. You know, it, it, it was good stuff. It was, it was a lot of fun. You know, I got to do pre-K all the way to fifth grade. So you did something that a lot of people never do, and you became uh, nationally board certified, um, and you you held that for some time. And, and I'm not sure if you still still have that since you're in administration. But what? What kind of made you take that shift away from being in the classroom all the time to uh, administration? You know, I never thought I would be. In the first five, five to ten, I'm trying to think when I was, I guess I was in my 10th or 11th year, I became an administrator. Uh, no, it was probably my 13th year, I became a vice principal. And I think it was the ability to have an impact on more people. Because I, I never thought I would want to do something like that. And the people around me were sometimes people after four or five years were applying, and I said, no, I don't want to do that. And then it just finally hit me where I guess I just thought, you know what, I want to be able to impact more people. I feel like I see things maybe, and I can help more people, and I can, you know, interact with uh, adults more in that way. And I, not that I, I mean, I, I love working with children, but I felt like I could help adults be better at what they do and try to help them reach their full potential. And so I applied, and after a couple of years, I got lucky and got uh, a position at where I was a math coach in elementary school and you know I'm at my second elementary school now but it's a lot of fun so I gotta ask and I mean you know I'm putting you on the spot I mean is it harder working with elementary school kids or teachers 
I would say, I would say elementary school kids. I think because, you know, that we always say, it's, it's the, uh, I guess it's kind of cliche to say, you know, I'd rather work with kids than adults, but kids these days and the kids that I work with have so many, a lot of them have so many social emotional needs and they have so many needs outside of what I would, what I would ever imagined. You know, kids go through so many things and come to school and the fact that they do as well as they do always amazes me because, you know, sometimes I'll go to where they live or I'll know their situation and then I think, damn, there's no way. I, I could barely even make it through the school day and these kids have to come and function and do math and reading and listen. It's tough. I mean, the situations they have are really difficult. So I say without a doubt, it's more difficult because trying to really help these kids you know, help them enjoy school. Yeah. That, that's the hardest part. That's the hardest part. Because school isn't always fun. And it's not fun when you're hungry or you're tired or you, you've got, you know, you've experienced trauma in your life and you're stressed. And so that, that's the hardest part. But it's also the biggest challenge and it makes it the most rewarding when you're able to reach some kids or you're able to help them feel good about themselves. Yeah, so, you know, of course we, we do things as as a teacher in a classroom with with a kid or a couple kids and you know we we try to do things at the building level and and even at the district level but um it seems like that the the focus on social emotional learning is growing it is improving but um there's still a lot to be desired on that front why do you think that it's it's so hard for us to focus on that, you know, those things that really matter. Like you said, you know, kids are coming to school hungry and we're expecting them to do well on a test. Why don't we take more time out of of our schedule to, you know, focus on those social emotional needs? I think because it's really difficult to measure. I think it's really, there's no real quantifiable way to measure the social emotional needs of a child or the success. You know, oftentimes I'll sit in, uh, I'm the IEP chair at my building. Okay. And for, I guess for listeners that might not know what that means, in other words, that's for kids with IEP, that's individual education program, or kids that receive special ed services. And a lot of times I'll sit there and we'll talk about the kids' academic needs and they have a deficit in math or they have a deficit in reading. But, you know, there's a lot of times where their kid... This is a damn good kid. And I make sure that I point that out to the parents because, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about, yeah, your kid needs help in reading. Yeah, your kid needs help in math. But let me tell you this. You've raised a good child. And too often we don't recognize that. And your kid doesn't always get the recognition that he or she deserves. And, you know, society doesn't always see that. See that. I mean, oftentimes we see soft skills. You know, that's a word that's thrown around. That's a term that's thrown around. A lot, aren't valued as much as they should be, you know, especially especially with men, especially with young boys, it's mm. as if being soft or being calm or being gentle or being kind is somehow not masculine when it's, it's just the opposite. And I try to impart that in the, the young men that I work with. And I guess I'm kind of on a roundabout way answering that question, but I think it's, I think it's because it's hard to measure. And so we don't really know how to measure it. And it's easy to get a math score. It's easy to get a reading score, but you know, I'll tell you what, if we don't do something soon about it, I mean, it's going it, to, it's getting worse. The social emotional needs of our students and of the adults are getting worse. And if we don't start putting some money into it and paying attention to it and time, it's not always money, it's time. I mean, yeah, there's nothing wrong with spending that 30 minutes to an hour a day on reflection, on meditation, on what, you know, whatever it depends on the school, well, on prayer, on whatever someone feels is necessary on exercise. I mean, we don't do that enough. No. And yeah, it just made me think, uh, you know, there's, I've had a kid over, over the years that, um, and, and, you know, this is, this is all too common, but you know, he, he saw some things that were very traumatic growing up, um, and, you know, doesn't do well with confrontation, uh, or, or aggressiveness. And, um, there was this, this same teacher that, always approached him aggressively and um then you know it would write up a referral on his behavior and uh you know I, I had to go to bat for him i mean you know we we get caught up in 
in you know the the selfishness of our class or that compliance like you're you're going to respect me because I'm older than you and we just we need to do better um kind of meeting kids where they are and I mean recognize I mean you would think it would be easy for an adult to recognize um that the kid doesn't respond well um but yet we keep trying the same things and so um I I really enjoy hearing you say that um we need that focus and um you know, I, I don't know all the answers, but I know that it starts with um, talking to kids um, like they matter, like they're equals, instead of just kind of commanding that respect piece. It does. It, it does. And, you know, the tough thing also is that our teachers are going through a lot. I mean, much, much more is expected of a teacher today than it was when I started. This is my 21st year. And it was it was much easier when I started teaching and it's just so much more on the teacher's plate and I think we have to make sure we're taking care of our teachers because a lot of times I mean people the majority almost all teachers go into it and they 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 enjoy working with kids and they don't mean to snap or do those things but they're under such enormous stress and they're fighting battles themselves and you know there there's so many demands placed on them and you know, so I think it goes both ways. In other words, we have to take care of our teachers, we take care of our students, and it's, it's tough because people are hurting out there. And if, until we really recognize that and try to help them, it's not going to get better. It's just going to get pushed down, and then who gets hurt there is the, the child. So I think that's a good segue. You know, one of your podcasts is, is called "My Bad," um, and and I want you I want you to describe um, kind of the premise of the show, but. Um, I want to jump in here with this too, since we're talking about uh, teachers having issues and students having issues. Why is it so important for people to just verbalize that phrase where their students can hear or colleagues can hear? Like, what is? Why is it so essential to saying "my bad"? I think we're, we're so tough on ourselves, and I see this. In myself, I see this in my family members. I see this in just everyone. I mean, I think social media now, we're so bombarded with it that pretty much most of what we see on social media, or I shouldn't say a lot of what we see are perfect images. You know, we see airbrushed perfect images of people. We see everybody's best. And I think when we see that enough, and especially when kids see that enough, they think, well, I've got to be perfect. And, you know, when they make a mistake, they really get down on themselves or they compare themselves to some perfect example. Yeah. And I think it's really important for us to admit our own mistakes because then, you know, other people hear it. They start giving themselves a little bit of grace and they realize, well, you know what, it's okay because I heard this person share their mistake. And, man, that was a big screw up, but I screwed up too. Obviously, I don't want to, but I'm human. I mean, we're going to make mistakes every day. And kids are so, so hard on themselves. I mean, there's... You know, there's data that shows that. I mean, there's, God, I mean, what, what was one of the biggest shows last year? Uh, 13 Reasons Why? Is that what it was? Just, yeah. I think it was a show called that. Yeah. Was, I, I'll be honest, I haven't seen it, but it, you know, it was about suicide, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And it, it's scary to me that there's so much pressure on a child that that would be a choice. And I'm not saying, I mean, there's also mental illness involved and things like that. I'm not an expert on that whatsoever. But I know there's a lot of pressure on kids. And a lot of it comes from them expecting and feeling like they have to be perfect or they have to compare themselves to others. And I think until they realize that, you know, that the person across the hall from them, the person down the street makes mistakes just like they do. But they don't always realize that. And that's, that's the problem. They think, you know what, they're perfect. They don't worry. And, you know, we don't worry. We all make mistakes. Yeah, I think it, you know it's so timely that we're we're talking about that now. Um, I don't know if you if you saw this article that um, Dwayne the Rock Johnson just he was just on the cover of of Rolling Stone, but um, he was talking about how he was you know severely depressed for some time, and I just think that's so powerful for someone you know that has that celebrity factor to come out. And say those things because, like you said, yeah, kids kids turn on social media, they they turn on Netflix, and everybody's perfect, nobody has problems, and um, you know we we have to be you know vul- being vulnerable is okay, um, and that's that's really what we need to the message we need to send to the kids. 
Absolutely. No, I, I'll be honest, I haven't read the article, but I did see the headline of it, and I was really excited. I'm excited to I was happy when I saw that, because I was glad to hear him share that, because that's going to raise awareness. I mean, you know, who would have seen you know, Robin Williams a couple of years oh, yeah. ago when that happened? I yeah. mean, that was... I mean, he was my childhood. I grew up watching him in so many movies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unless, I mean, people had no idea. Even people close to him had no idea. And it's good, I think, for people that feel depressed, and especially someone like The Rock, to say, you know what, I felt depressed. I'm making it through it. I'm going to be okay. And it's nothing, there's nothing wrong with me. In other words, I'm not, uh, it doesn't mean I'm a bad person. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm crazy or anything like that. That just means... I'm feeling depressed or I'm feeling anxiety and I can get through this. And I'm ho- hoping other adults and kids hear that and say, you know what, okay, if The Rock can do it, maybe I can do it or maybe, you know, I'm not so bad after all. Right, exactly. So, you know, if you would, tell everybody about your your two podcasts. You talk a little bit about, about My Bad, but you, you co-host another one, Teacher's Aid. So for those that haven't heard it, what could they expect from both of those shows? Sure. My bad was the first what is the one that I've been doing the longest. I've done that probably about two and a half years. And essentially, guests come on and they share one big mistake they made in education. And my my main objective of that, I think a lot of, not a lot, some people hear it once in a while and they think, oh, well, you want people to learn from others' mistakes. And that is true. But my number one thing that I want people to come away with after they hear my bad episode is that they're not alone and that we all make mistakes, and that I want people to hear how others that were able to move forward from these mistakes, and, you know, to learn to give themselves a little bit of grace. And so it's been very humbling to have people come on and trust me with their stories and come on and share some incredibly vulnerable moments and some powerful stories. And it's been received well. I mean, people hear it, and they say, you know what, it's so good to hear that. You know, it, it helps to know that other people make these mistakes, and I feel better about myself I mean, I, I love it when I hear that. You know, I feel better about myself making that mistake. So I really enjoyed that. I've just started Teacher's Aid. I host that with Mandy Freilich. And we had we had a, a teaser episode. We've recorded, or we've released two episodes. And we have another one coming out probably tomorrow. We are very, very excited about that. I'll be honest, as much as I love my bad, I, I am so excited about Teacher's Aid. And it's different in that it's 100% focused on teachers. And what I mean by that is the premise and in the pilot, in the pilot, good gracious, it's not even in the pilot episode. <laughs> right. Wow. In the pilot episode, basically Mandy is pretending she's an airline attendant or airline stewardess. And she talks about how you have to give oxygen to yourself first before you're able to help others. And that's our premise in the show. We take on social-emotional needs of teachers in ways that we can help with that. So we've talked about anxiety. We've talked about self-doubt. With uh, Peter DeWitt was the last one we released, probably about, uh, it's been almost a month. But we have some really exciting episodes coming out that talk about you know time management, talking about not being down on yourself, just episodes with some amazing guests that, I, I just I can't wait for them to be released because it was it, they're really powerful and it's just it's just to help teachers because you know like we said or like I said earlier teachers are going through a lot I don't think people fully realize how much is on a teacher's plate and in order for them to help the students who are going through an enormous amount and they're just kids we have to help our teachers. So I'm sure you've thought about this before, but I'm I'm just hearing hearing your story telling me that. You know, you wanted to, there was a point where you had applied to medical school and you said your dad was a doctor and you're talking a lot about social emotional needs and it basically sounds like you have two podcasts that are like therapy sessions. So do you see yourself as some kind of therapist, doctor, educator? (laughs) No, I can't. I wouldn't say I see myself as that. I think I'm lucky in that I get to work with a lot of amazing people and I get to have I have learned a lot. I'll be honest, in interviewing over 100 people for my bad, I mean, I've, I've learned a lot about listening to people's mistakes. And I've, I've learned to take it easier on myself. And, you know, I have had a couple people say when they come on, it almost feels like therapy 
once they're able to be uh, vulnerable. In other words, they feel like one of my very first guests, Maggie Bellato, whose episode, if you haven't heard it, it's one of the, one of the first 10. I can't remember what number one was. It's an unbelievably powerful episode, and she is so vulnerable. And in it, she has this quote. She says, you know, the moment the words come out of your mouth, in other words, the moment, the moment you talk about the mistake, the moment you share it, they no longer have power over you. And it is true, you know, that because I've learned to, I write about these mistakes. I talk about mistakes sometimes on the episode. And it, it is therapeutic that once you start talking about mistakes and sharing them, you really don't worry as much about them. I mean, I still make mistakes all the time, especially as an assistant principal, as a dad, as a husband. I, I make mistakes all the time, but I don't worry about them as much. And they're out there. In other words, I, I really don't have a whole lot to hide. And, and once you put them out there, you know, they can't harm you. I, I've had times where I've compared it to, and I don't know how many listeners have seen this movie, and if they haven't seen it, then this is going to be a little bit of a spoiler alert, but the movie Eight Mile. Mm. I don't know if you've seen that with Eminem. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I compare it to the ending scene where there's the rap battle, and the very last rap battle where he pretty much, you know, he's battling this other guy, and they have to, for those that haven't seen it and might not see it, basically, he has to rap against another guy for about three minutes and they're just trying to score on each other, sham on each other, whatever, however people say that nowadays. And he starts off by saying, well, I know you're going to say this about me and this about me and this about me and this about me. And the other guy's stunned because after Eminem talked about all his weaknesses and all the things, all his flaws, the guy had nothing on him. And the guy, you know, I mean, you see him, the guy just stopped and dropped the mic. Yeah. And so the guy had no power over him anymore. It's kind of similar in a way. I mean, I'm, I, it's a loose connection, but it's a. But once you let these things out and you own them, and you, you know you try to move forward, you try to get better. They don't have power over you anymore. I mean, I I don't worry much about mistakes anymore. I still make them. And I I don't try to. And I try to get better. But you know what? I'm gonna make them, and I'm like, whatever. I'm gonna try to do the best I can, and then tomorrow's the next day. All right, well, since you said that, what is your biggest my bad moment that you've had as a teacher or principal? The biggest my bad moment in a while. Okay. The first first one that comes to your mind when you hear that question. Well, I'll be honest, I, I published a piece the other day, and it's one that happened about seven or eight years ago, and I just, I just wrote about it for the first time the other day, but I talked about it before. But I had, when I was a vice principal, I'll never forget, I was standing... I was on bus duty, and I was watching, and this boy jumped off the bus, or you know, jumped off the top step of the bus, and roundhouse punched this other kid in the shoulder, or the arm, or wherever it was, and I was livid. I grabbed this kid by the hand or wrist, probably harder than I should have, I don't even know, marched into my office, along with the boy he had hit, and just started laying into him. You know, why on earth do you think you get to do that? This, this is ridiculous. You're never going to, wait till your mom hears about this. You know, when I finally stopped talking and let him share, he said, Mr. Harbor, here's why I'm mad. The boy that I hit went in my shed last night, stole my bike out of my shed, and was on the bus on the way to school bragging and everybody about it. And when I heard that, I thought, oh, snap. <laughs> well, you know what? I'd be pretty mad, too, if somebody went in my shed and stole my bike and then was talking trash about it on the bus. Oh, I always equated I said, it's, it's akin to somebody stealing your car and then riding around the block just bragging that they have your car and just telling everybody in your neighborhood. So I thought, you know what, John, you you really can't be judging situations and people that way. And, you know, in the in the piece I write, that my, my biggest regret isn't that, you know, that I got as angry as I did because when you see somebody lose their temper, or not as angry, but my biggest regret wasn't that, in other words, I got him and marched into my office because I mean I, I had to take care of that situation but my biggest regret was thinking less of him and thinking that he was just a bad kid because he'd done that yeah because if I if I had waited and listened to hear his story I would have realized what well, I almost got sorry I would have <laughs> thought oh dang oh, I, you know, I would have done that too yeah. I mean I'm not condoning violence but I'm thinking if somebody stole my bike talked trash about it on the bus I, I don't know what I would have done you know, you know, I mean, I'm not saying it's right to hit somebody, but I see why he was mad. Once we learn kids' stories, 
we learned a lot more. And that, you know, that was a time where I really didn't give that kid the benefit of the doubt. I didn't listen to his story. I should have waited and heard first. Yeah. But I didn't. So you've had most of your experience, um, or, or all of it, I guess, at the elementary level, um, which my my wife is is a teacher. She's been a kindergarten and first grade teacher her whole career. Um, I've been only in middle schools. Um, so, you know, you, you get to see kids um, from beginning of the time they come in K-12 system to uh, at least the time that they leave elementary. So if you could, if you could somehow guarantee that your kids leaving fifth grade were going to be taught three things at the middle school level, what would those be? In other words, what would they learn in middle school? Right. If, if you can get a get a takeaway at the end of eighth grade, three important things, skills, mindsets, attributes, whatever you want to say, um, what do you think? I think they would be empathy. I think oftentimes empathy is a very difficult skill. It's hard to teach. You have to model it a lot. It's very difficult in middle school years because kids are going through a lot of changes. Their hormones are going through a lot of changes. They're very self-conscious. So I think I think empathy would be one. I think, it's not going to be a surprise, I'm probably going to pick three social-emotional skills. But I think empathy, I think self-confidence, especially at the end of middle school, because oftentimes middle school is when kids' self-confidence plummets. I mean, they... On the surface, a lot of times kids will put on the act that nothing's wrong or they're not worried or everything's fine, but that is that is a really difficult time for a kid. And I think I think the ability to problem solve, the ability to stop, to look at a situation and really analyze it. And that's not really a course I know, but I mean, I guess that could be. I think that'd be a fun course just to take real life scenarios and say, okay, here's what happened. How are you going to fix this situation? How are you going to analyze this? And it would involve all the disciplines, but I think we isolate things too much. What did I, say? I saw just recently that Finland is doing away with subjects. Yeah. And I mean, Finland leads the world in, in so many things when it comes to education, but they're doing away with subjects. And I think. I'm not saying we should do that, but I think if kids can learn to solve problems, just to stop, take a step back and look at it. Because we teach so many things in isolation. You know, we teach kids certain things in math, certain kids in things in reading and writing. And then when it comes to using them in the real world, they really have no clue. So I guess I would say empathy, self-confidence, and problem solving. Those are three great things, and you know I, I have to talk about myself now because it's really interesting. You said those three things, so this this innovation course that I get to teach, um, we have seventy two schools in Henrico County, and I somehow ended up being uh, the lucky one that got to pilot this course uh, that I just created, and my principal liked it enough to let me do it, and so it's based in design thinking, which, you know, step number one is empathy for your customer, user, whatever, um, entrepreneurship, so you get that problem-solving piece, and then it's been a byproduct, but something next year that I want to be the a critical component and that's self-awareness or you know self-confidence like you were talking about and what I have found is that starting with that empathy piece letting them you know design and then get feedback and iterate um, and then getting to solve a, a problem that really matters to them it does give them that confidence and it does make them aware of what they're passionate about, what they're interested in. And then when they're able to do that, then they start looking out for each other and becoming better humans. So I love that you said those three things. Boom. We didn't even plan this. No, that's wild. That, that's so cool because that sounds like an incredible course where the kids could, I mean, I would, my daughter's in sixth grade and I would love for her to have a course like that in middle school. And I'm not saying that she doesn't, but I'd, I'd like for her to be in your class like that. I mean, that's that's real world stuff. That's good. That's that's neat that you're doing that. And that's an honor that you get to to work that pilot. I'm looking forward to hearing what you're doing next year on that. Oh man, it's it's really fun, and um, <clears throat> you know, I'll I'll just you know, I guess. <sighs> You know, I don't know if this is a my bad moment, but um, you know, I was I'm a social studies guy, and I've, I've taught 
U.S. history. I've taught world history. I'm teaching civics now. And, you know, I... I'm a good teacher in those classes, but I'm a great teacher in the innovation class because, you know, it's something that I see the evidence. And, you know, a lot of times teachers are like, you know, you might make an impact, but you don't see it for 10 years down the road kind of thing. But you're seeing things daily. And, and I was just telling um, your buddy Ben Gilpin earlier that uh, the best moment I've had as a teacher in this class um, was a student of mine that came in, didn't say a word at the beginning of the year, but now she is kind of turned into the voice of the class, uh, and she'll even just cut me off when I'm in the middle of a rant or rambling about something <laughs> for the day and just be like, look, Mr. Vest, like, thank you, but we've we got to get to work. Like, i got to work on my business that I started. Like, i got to work on this project. And, I mean, like, what more could you want in a class? That's good. She's got the confidence to do that, and she and let you let her do that. She must feel comfortable with you. So that's good. Yeah, yeah. So let's just uh, keep with the theme of you know improving. Um, so you know, a lot of times we talk about um, what doesn't work in schools, uh, and I think we miss the mark sometimes by talking about what does work. So that's that's my question for you. What? We get this pressure about the future and getting kids ready for this unknown 2030 year. Um, so what is working in schools now that, you know, is going to be something good for them to have in the future? That's a good thing. I think what's work, I think what's working is there's a lot more push. We're starting to realize that we need to learn about each other. I think, you know, there's a lot more emphasis placed on learning about diversity, whether it is with race, whether it's with sexuality, whether it's with social economic. And I think a, a lot of kids are a lot, I think they're ahead of where we were. I'll be honest, I don't have any idea. They're ahead of where I was. They're ahead of they're, they're ahead of the game now. In other words, they see fewer and fewer problems with or issues. They have fewer and fewer issues with, for example, interracial dating. Yeah. Or two people of the same sex getting married. Yeah. And that's wonderful. That does my heart well when I when I know that the kids of today aren't going to have these biases and these prejudices that were around more and more when, when I was younger or when maybe, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And it's... I don't think, so I think that's a good thing. I think kids are starting to see that. They're not starting to see that. Kids are, they're ahead of where we were. And I think, I don't know why that is. I think also, I think kids are getting, kids are getting fed up. And we, we saw that recently, I guess this past week with the rallies. I mean, the rally in D.C. Yeah. You know, kids are learning that, you know what, damn it, we got a voice. And we're going to start using it because in a couple of years, we're going to be the ones voting. And I think kids are realizing that they have a voice now. And I think that's that's big. So I mean, that's I think that's one thing we're getting right, without a doubt. I think there's more and more project-based learning going on, which I think is good. I think you know we don't we don't have that where I am at my school, but I think I'm I'm hearing more and more of that. I'll be honest, I don't know that. I don't have evidence to support that, but I'm hearing there's more and more project-based learning going on, which I think is good because that's how the real world works. The real world doesn't usually work in isolated pockets. It works in, in projects. So I'm happy about that. Uh, you're, you're right. So look, back to the, the easier question. Uh, so what's not working in schools, and, and you you know you're generally speaking about project based learning, so you don't have to talk about your school in particular. But you know what is, and, and you're big in social media. So what what are people complaining about that we need to change? Not enough time for the well being of a child, and when I say that, I mean the physical well being and the social emotional well being. You know, in the seven and a half hour, seven, I don't know how long we go to school, seven and a half hour day, you know, there's no subject called mindfulness. There's no subject called, <laughs> called relax. There's no yeah. subject called, you know, we have phys ed, but usually a lot of times that's one day a week. 
And I think all these things we're not doing a good job with. I mean, No, you're good. Everything all right? Yes, I'm back. Sorry, someone was calling me. I realized that if I kept talking, it was going to cut off, so I wanted to stop a second there. We're not doing a good job with that. I mean, I think in a seven-and-a-half-hour day, an hour of it could be... You know, somebody one time asked me, what's your idea, ideal school day? I mean, in a seven-and-a-half-hour day, one hour of it could be spent with exercise. I mean, I... 30 minutes could be on physical exercise. 30 minutes could be on teamwork sports. I think there's nothing wrong with having 30 minutes of literally rest. I mean, in, in Finland, I'm going to reference Finland again. I remember reading uh, somewhere. I don't know. I, think, I can't remember the guy's name, but he wrote an article and he talked about how for every hour, out of every hour in the school day, 15 minutes of it on leisure or break. Kids get to do whatever they want. They can relax, they can exercise, they can play, they can do whatever. But imagine that in your school right now, that every hour, every fit, you're going to have 15 minutes to do whatever you want. I mean, that's incredible. And, and, and we know that that works because, I mean, think about it. How many times, I use one right now, I use something called a Pomodoro when I'm writing. And, you know, I work for 25 minutes, I rest for five. I work for 25 minutes, I rest for a couple minutes. Usually that's enough, but... You know, we have kids working nonstop during the day. We're working too hard. Yeah. We're working too hard, and we're not getting the results we want, and we're wondering why. Well, because the kids' brains are overworked. The adults' brains are overworked. There's nothing wrong with spending 30 minutes of relaxing. There's nothing wrong with spending 30 minutes exercising, 30 minutes, you know, working on teamwork games, 30 minutes working on mindfulness, 30 minutes of silence. That'd be hard. That, that's hard for my own kids. <laughs> I'm just, I, was, I was trying to imagine what that would look like for my eighth graders. I don't know that we could get 30 minutes. Uh, but no, you're, I mean, you're exactly tough. right. You're exactly right. Like we, you know, one of the big things in in our county, and I'm sure it's like this everywhere, uh, that the kids complain about, because I, I've been in two schools and, you know, they were on different ends of the county and, you know, we have 50,000 students, so there, there's a lot of diversity and, uh, but they all complain about the hallway transition time and essentially not having enough time to just socialize with the people that they're friends with. And so, you know, I mean, the argument from administrators, and it's probably the right argument, is that it's a safety issue, just having people crammed in the hallway and, you know, schools are overcrowded and all these things. But, you know, that, you know, there's a lot of issues there. But with not letting them talk to their friends, I mean, it's just it's just not a human thing to do. And if you stop and think about what you would feel as an adult if somebody, if your boss or somebody came to you and said, "Hey, move it along. You can't talk to him right now." Like, I mean, you would you would immediately uh, right. lose interest in whatever that adult was telling you. Um, so you know, I just I've flat out break the rule of hushing or, you know, rushing kids along. And, uh, you know, so my room has become the haven where kids duck in during transition so they can talk to their friends uh, just for a few minutes. And I'm totally fine with that. No, I mean, we got to have that time. I mean, we're social creatures. And I think we're working kids too hard. I think, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a good book out by Cal Newport called Deep Work. And he says we've lost our ability to to engage in deep work. And deep work is basically, I don't know if you know about the book or not, or you've read the book, but it's really good. Basically, I mean, we've lost the ability to work really intensely and focus. And the thing is, we don't provide that time. In other words, you could work for 30 minutes in dead silence with zero distractions and get more done than you could in three or four hours of highly distracted work. And a lot of the Americans that we have kids working in during the day there's some distractions, whereas I think if you had just a couple hours of really deep, intense work, we could get just as much done as we do in seven and a half hours. We could exercise, we could have all kinds of things. Kids could pursue their passions, you know, have the uh, like a Google hour, 20% time, and yeah. a lot of different ways to word that. 
I mean, there's so much time in the day. I, I, I truly believe we could get everything done, but I think we're working too hard and we're getting less done. I couldn't agree more, and I always get really fired up when I hear uh, people talking about you know the the amount of time that the school day is, and um, you know this year we're and a lot of schools are doing this, but you know we're we're double blocking kids that need to do better in English and math, even though they hate both of those subjects and don't want to do well for a bunch of different reasons. Uh-huh. But you know that so you know one of the things that we talk about on this show is how people are challenging the status quo. And and I don't know, I'm sure somebody's doing this, but whoever's in charge of the master schedule, for me, I don't know why we always default to the quantity over quality. Like you said, we're never going to, we're probably always going to have seven hour days with the kids. I don't see that ending anytime soon. But why does every class, at the middle school level, why does every class have to be 90 minutes long? Like it just it blows my mind. Oh, it's, and I think another thing, you get me fired up here now, too. Another thing is we don't work from the strength-based model. I think, let's say you have five subjects or six subjects. If we think about what a person really needs to be good at later on in their life, they only really need to master or be really good at one. And yet what happens is a kid might be really good at one subject, they might have a passion in one subject, and they're doing poorly in another. So like you said, we double book them and we spend all our time pointing out their weaknesses yeah. and trying to remediate their weaknesses instead of saying, you know what, let's double book their strength. Yeah. Let's double book math. Let's double book, who knows, could be physic. Maybe that person's going to do something physical. Maybe it's dance. Maybe it's music, art. But what we do is we grind them down in the other areas. And I understand we have to have a minimum. You have to be able to read and write at a you know, decent level. But I think we're going too far with that. I think we're not figuring out what kids' strengths are and pursuing them and doesn't just have time with them. That's the kids, you know, kids are frustrated with school and they're like, you know what, school sucks. And that's sad. We've got to do a better job with that. No, you're right. And, you know, so the other side of that is with, with the teacher, too. And, you know, I don't know how you guys do things in Maryland, but... Uh, in Virginia, you know, we, we have cycles where we're on what they call, you know, structured growth plans. And there's never a point in there having a meeting with the principal or associate principal or whomever where you are told, hey, this is what you're doing that's really well, so we're going to put this in the paperwork. We're just going to put in here two to three things that you have to say you want to improve in. No, I guess we do end of the year evaluations and we do, I mean, we, we put both in there. We put strengths and we put, you know, room for improvement. But at the end of the year evaluation, we always do put things in there that, you know, successes and things that someone did well. Because I think that's important. And I'm sure I'm guilty of it enough to, where I don't point out enough successes in people and, you know, strengths. Because everybody has their own strengths. And yeah, when we do, a lot of times, a lot of our rating systems do have to do with finding people's weaknesses and that's a shame because nobody really enjoys that so let me ask you this this last question uh you know basically um this class that i'm teaching you know i'm calling it innovation class and i told you the breakdown of it um and so that's that's kind of in the middle school realm but you know we're talking about scaling you know up and down aligning vertically um, but I'm I'm pretty familiar with how to do that at the middle school uh, and then into the high school level. But how can elementary schools be innovative? And I know that's a buzzword, but um, what do you think? I think I think we need to give kids real life scenarios because then if then they're going to see that, the, then they're going to feel like what they're putting the time into, what they're doing is real. I mean, there are things that really happen. There are things that have real applications other than just saying, okay, here, let me have you read this page and article on rocks and answer these four questions. You know, let's give them a real scenario. Let's give them, and this does happen. You know, let's give them primary source documents where you have to solve a mystery or you have to figure out how to plant a garden or you have to figure out how to raise money for a carnival or something like that. But you give kids real life scenarios that have, that that really happen because kids see through that. They can see through when things are artificial and they're just made so that we can give the kid a grade and they're not going to be as interested in it. Just like we're not as adults. We know it's not real. 
All right, Ben, I got a new segment. We're calling it 10 and 10. There are 10 questions that you basically have 10 seconds to answer each of them. So I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's the right number. Um, but, uh, and I'm, so you're the first person that I'm saying 10 and 10 because despite, and this is how we are as educators, we're like the worst students. Every person that I've had on the show, I talk about and I say, all right, answer it as quickly as possible. And then they give, you know, a minute long response for each one. So 10 questions, each one you get 10 seconds. You ready? Uh, I'm ready. I don't know what's coming, but I'm ready. That's all right. You're ready for it. All right. First one's easy. Coffee, tea, or water? Coffee. What is your favorite band or solo artist? Right now, it is Khaled. If you could sing a duet with anyone, who would it be? Beyonce. Favorite team in Maryland? Favorite team in Maryland? Turks basketball. Three people that are alive today that you would like to have dinner with. And Roger Federer. I just want to make sure because you, you cut out on that first one. You said Ed Sheeran, right? Yeah, sorry. Ed, okay. Ed Sheeran, Barack Obama, and Roger Federer. All right, so you live in you live in Maryland. Those people show up at your house for dinner. Where are you guys going to eat? We're going to eat at Panera because it's only a couple minutes away, and there are a lot of options there. They got good coffee. They got good soup, sandwiches, and it's right around the corner. A book that you've read recently that's positively shaped you. Hmm. Or or negatively shaped you, but that might not be nice. Gosh, okay. Let me think about this one. There's a book that I haven't finished, but I'm reading now called, uh, I think it's called Moments, Power of Moments. It's really, it just talks about how we're able to create moments. And oftentimes we think they have, we have to wait for them to happen, but we can make them happen. Can't them. I think it's called the power moments or moments. Okay. So uh, you can't say yourself or any of your friends that you've already mentioned uh, on the air, but who should everyone be following in the education space right now? I can't say anybody I've mentioned. No, nope, can't say Brad, can't say Ben. I think those are the only two at least that I recognized. Can I say my co-host on Teachers 8? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Mandy Freilich. Mandy Freilich is amazing. She's an amazing co-host. She has a book coming out this summer, but the pieces she writes, she's, she's so in tune with the social-emotional needs, and she writes some really amazing pieces, and she's a wonderful person. She's somebody everybody should follow. All right, next two questions. Last two questions are about advice. First one is the best... I, I think that's more than 10. I think it's... Well, you're going to 20, man. You're jacking. <laughs> I, I am, I am, I am. So, the best advice you've ever received? You know, some of the best advice I've ever received was from our mutual book, Ben Gilpin. And he said, you know, when something negative happens, because he and I box a lot, you want to be careful not to always talk about it again or share it again because then it's almost like you're reliving the whole thing again and you go through it emotionally and it can be very draining. So try to, you know, not keep it a secret, but just try to let it go and move forward. That's great. So, you know, you mentioned having uh, a kid that was in middle school. So let's, let's fast forward a couple years. Um, you can use them or you can use someone else, but what would be the the best advice um, for a kid getting ready? Well, you know, I'm going to switch it up. So for you, what's the best advice that you would give a kid getting ready to start middle school in 2018? Hmm. A kid getting ready to start middle school in 2018. 
you know, I'm using that strategy where you repeat the question if you're not sure right away. <laughs> I, I, picked, the, I picked up on that, yeah. You knew what I was doing. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to use advice that I got recently from, and it might even be coming out on a future episode, Teacher Say, from Dan Tricorico, the Zen teacher, where he used to tell his kids you know, you're, you're good enough just the way you are. Because oftentimes we think we're not, and especially in middle school, kids think they're not. But you're good enough the way you are. That's great advice. All right, John. So I know how I found you and uh, have heard your work, seen your work, listened to your work. But where can other people find you? Uh, mostly on Twitter. At, uh, I'm on Twitter at John Harper seventy BD. It's a uh, capital J and then O N, John Harper seventy BD, all lowercase except for the J. I think I should have my own Twitter handle, but I think that's it. Or on or on Bam Radio Network. On Bam Radio Network, I blog on there, and I have two uh, podcasts: one that I had uh, myself, and one that I co-host with Mandy Freeland. All right, John Harper, appreciate you, sir. Thanks so much, man. That was good stuff. I, I enjoyed the ten questions. <laughs> Yeah. Even though I think they're about seventeen. Yeah. <laughs> it it yeah, just I felt that way. It, it felt that way be, because, because you kept re- you kept repeating them though. That's why it felt longer. Well, that's true. I had to repeat because I had to stall and say. <laughs> All right, John. I appreciate you, man. Absolutely, man. Hey, everybody. What's up? Jason Vest here from the After Ed Podcast. Look, we are growing. We are having amazing guests on, but we need you to subscribe. We need you to refer guests for the show. We need you to go and leave reviews only to help us get better and spread our message. If you love what you hear with the podcast, head on over to Twitter at Mr. Vest RVA. Instagram is the same name. Give me a shout out there as well. And don't forget everyone can't be one or the other you're either designing or destroying and when we're working with kids you better be designing have a good one